So, um, hi everyone, um, for another uh, podcast, early high of financial, uh, quant financial engineering podcast. Uh, I am, um, I have the pleasure to have with me uh, Nicholas Kens, uh, who is a director of research at, at Inca Digital. I'll let him explain exactly what, what that is and what he does. Um, uh, Nick was uh, with us uh, two weeks ago for our conference and he had uh, some interesting discussion or topic on um, data forensic, data analytical, data, data analytic uh, and um, of forensic nature. Um, so um, without further ado, let me, uh, let me have uh, Nick take, take it over for me and explain a little bit what he does, what Inca Digital does, and then th this topic of uh, data analytics or forensic point of view. Thanks, yeah, thanks for that introduction. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the event was, was fun at the uh, Quant Financial Engineering Conference. Um, definitely a lot of other interesting presentations as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm the Director of Research and Development at Inca Digital, and Inca Digital is an open data um, aggregation and analytics company. So we um, pull data, and then we have infrastructure that um, helps filter, normalize, enrich that data, and then we provide a bunch of analytical tools for analyzing it. And uh, currently we're focused on the digital asset ecosystem, um, but we hope to expand outside of that. Um, and all of our infrastructure is data neutral. Um, what, we, what I spoke about at the conference was, um, as Pat kind of mentioned, like this vague topic of data forensics, but applied to the digital asset ecosystem. And it's an interesting topic because um, the crypto cryptocurrencies and um, decentralized applications kind of break a lot of the traditional paradigms. And um, there are some interesting properties around them, which make them both um, difficult in nature for a lot of the um, existing financial infrastructure and um, entities, but also make them um, more accessible from a um, public data gathering perspective, and they provide interesting um, analytics or the ability to um, generate some interesting analytics, uh, both in terms of economic behavior, um, in terms of um, usage, and um, many, many different things. So um, as well, it's interesting to analyze the um, data streams that are produced by the um, more centralized or traditional entities that work with these um, these technologies and these assets. Um, and so there's kind of this interesting um, paradigm or this clash in the middle of this open um, open technology and the kind of users um, and providers uh, to that um, space, if that makes sense. Yeah, so and, and Nick, um, you mentioned it being different because I've worked with uh, compliance people in, in the banking environment in the past. And uh, you seem to allude to the fact that things are different in a good way and in a bad way nowadays. Can you maybe explain a little bit more what has changed 
in terms yeah. of what they're doing and what you can do to pick it up on? Yeah, so I think that there's kind of a few different ways in which um, Bitcoin introduced um, kind of different ways of doing things. So on, on one hand is um, just this idea of having a um, permissionless global uh, settlement ledger. So um, an open blockchain, essentially, um, where the database is both maintained and visible by everybody. And, um, you know, there are different, there are different ones following Bitcoin that have slightly different properties in um, kind of the composition of the blockchain and what, how the data um, is distributed or constructed um, and what kinds of data is actually contained. Um, but within the Bitcoin blockchain, um, what you have are um, pseudonymous addresses which are generated by um, clients and uh, the transactions between those addresses are what are maintained on the public ledger. And um, there were a number of interesting attempts to um, create a digital payment system um, that was decentralized in nature before Bitcoin. And it's a very difficult engineering problem. Um, but since, since Bitcoin um, has to date succeeded in doing this, uh, what we now have is something strikingly different from the current payment system, where if I want to um, buy something or if I want to send somebody money um, digitally, currently I would, or pre-Bitcoin, I would use um, a series of intermediaries um, to get to get that money to the um, to the uh, company that I'm buying a product from or to the person that I'm paying for some service or something. Um, so, you know, we've we've had a lot of interesting um, financial technology in that space as well in the um, preceding years. Um, and that enabled paradigms like I can kind of create my own company where I'm a consultant and I get paid by Venmo and um, I do my own, you know, accounting, but in you paying me by Venmo, you're operating through a payment processor who operates both um, and coordinates the transaction from your bank to my bank. And um, all of this data is only accessible to the user through those third parties. Um, so in Bitcoin, you have a much more transparent and also simple solution where there is one single source of truth and that's the public blockchain and anybody can um, audit it to, uh, to do their own accounting with the um, addresses that they know they maintain the private keys for, but also they can audit the entire chain and they can prove uh, what the economic policy um, of that blockchain is, and they can, um, you know, look at the source code um, themselves. So it's very different from the kind of uh, trust requiring paradigm of using intermediaries where you have more of a um, infrastructure scaffolding of legal and insurance 
um, kind of trust in making sure that payment actually gets to the next partner. Because I understand there's about, I don't know how many, I think it's like a dozen intermediaries between you, you know, making a credit card purchase, right, from them actually getting paid between the merchant and all the banks. And yeah, it's a huge convoluted type of process, which can be so, but with blockchain, I guess the, the trust issue is gone or is more manageable or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's not only, I mean, there's definitely trade-offs. So it's definitely more convoluted from the user's perspective, I would say, um, in terms of technically what's actually happening, right? Um, but it's also kind of seamless for the user and potentially in the future, you know, using um, a digital asset will feel the same as using a non, you know, cryptographic currency. Um, and um, there's kind of, sorry, what was the, what was the like premise? Well, no, but basically yeah, yeah. what I'm, I, I want to find out is, all right, so there's blockchain in the middle. Uh, it's like this huge, this, uh, the trust, I guess we don't need to trust the banks anymore. We could just, you know, trust the database uh, we, and, and we could track everything that's going on and you own the data. The thing is when you talk about forensic analysis, uh, I mean, they did forensic analysis before on, on, on the, the, you know, the banking, you know, know your customer and all that. How is that different now with the blockchain? Is it easier? Was it more complicated or is it so different? I guess it's it's different because um, yeah you you are essentially um, in the banking paradigm you are you are trusting that the security measures that are told to you are uphold are upheld but you don't actually have the ability to look into the database and see um, how they are conducting their accounting and you don't have access to, for good reason, you don't have access to see what the um, you know, compliance team from the bank's side is, is actually doing and whether they're properly flagging transactions. And um, you also don't necessarily get to see the process of the regulators and enforcement um, people from, from government that are um, there to enforce and make sure that those regulations are actually upheld. So um, with blockchain, the, the difference is that um, the forensic side is actually done by the public. It's done by, um, you know, and there's private companies who do it, but the idea is that anybody can, as long as they are, um, have the technical resources and know-how, um, anybody can conduct on, on a public chain audit and that's kind of the big shift is that oh okay okay now yeah. I get, I, yeah definitely so now anybody could be you could be your own uh compliance or you could farm out that to as long as you are targeting people on uh, you know targeting systems that are on the um on the blockchain yeah so it's a big so, shift both yeah. in terms of accessibility, but also in terms of responsibility to the, um, to the public or to the, to the end users. So anybody can, but also to some degree, um, potentially has to, 
or trust somebody else to be a security auditor to make sure that they actually agree that the um, you know the security model of the network is sound um, to uh, audit their own you know their the monetary policy um, and do the account their own personal financial accounting and um, you know manage their own essentially be their own bank do all of the things to manage their own money and uh, maintain sovereign ownership um, over their assets. So it is both allowing of all this accessibility, but it also does shift responsibility. And that's why you see still in the blockchain space, you see a number of thriving companies that are still acting as um, intermediaries. So you have companies like Coinbase and BitPay and all of these companies that make it easier so that you don't actually have to take on full responsibility. Um, you can, you know, you can purchase on a centralized exchange um, a cryptocurrency, and then you can um, pay with that cryptocurrency directly to a merchant who uses a centralized um, payment processing service like BitPay. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I could see where banks could feel a little bit um, angst about that because. Um, they would feel that um, no, no one does, you know, uh, KYC or know your customer and better than, than we do. Um, and where the federal government could say that, uh, no, we manage the money supply, we manage, um, you know, yeah, but we've seen what have happened in the past, right? I guess if we had blockchain, we wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't be able, we would have been able to I guess find out what's going on with the, the assets of uh, Lehman Brothers, for example. We wouldn't have to rely on you know some back office operation to tell us what they are. But so I can see how interesting that is. So yeah, so basically we're shifting the responsibility from the banks and the federal government in in a way to a bunch of other people. That, but how do we know if that's going to be better than? I mean, we already know what they did or didn't do. How do we know that's going to work? Because you're involved in some of that yourself, right? Your company does a little bit of that. Yeah. No, so, so that's a really good question. And you brought up a number of good points along the way. Um, and I think to some degree, blockchain is something that will really be beneficial to companies and governments because you can outsource um, some of these tricky things like, um, like if you're a company and you're, you know, you're just selling goods to customers, having all of their personal data is a huge liability. Um, if I have a, you know, a honeypot of customer credit card numbers linked to their addresses and names, um, that is the kind of thing that when it does leak and it does, you know, as we've seen, um, is really harmful and also something that can tarnish your brand and, um, you know, you can ensue legal penalties for that kind of thing. So if you can off offload that um, from a business's perspective, you can kind of externalize some of this liability. And from a, a government governance perspective, um, the potential transparency of a blockchain is also something really interesting um, to look at. And I think that's partly why you see so many governments looking into um, using public blockchains or developing their own 
uh, CBDCs or central bank digital currencies. And that's because if, even though the addresses um, are pseudonymous in Bitcoin, for example, anybody can say, this is my address publicly. And if you're a, a company, um, you know, and you want to be publicly audited and show that you're transparent with the public and to your, these regulators, then you can do that and everybody can follow your, um, your movement of funds and make sure that, you know, you're not doing anything illicit and you can prove that to somebody without just, you know, making, making them say, you know, trust me. Um, so it's, it's, it's a way of proving um, that you're actually in compliance to some degree. So, okay. So, so there, there is, there is no way, I guess I wouldn't say there's no way to cheat, but it becomes much more difficult to do it now because now you could literally trace everything down to the minutiae. It's just that you need someone and you hire people to do it for you. Uh, and uh, if you don't like how it's done, you could always find someone else to do it. But the point at the end of the day, uh, the data is, 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 is here, right? Everything is already there. It's just that you have to be able to, to look at it. as opposed to a, in a compliance scenario. Uh, no, the data is not there. The data is in some bank somewhere. And unless you have access to the safe, you can't get to that data. And uh, they are the one who have to do it. And if they don't do it well, then sure, but banks get audited. Um, but we've seen the many instances, or uh, not just bank. I mean, it could be uh, companies as well who've lost, you know, millions of uh, we've heard of data of, like you say, credit card information. So that's uh, that, that's very interesting. So so I guess what we need to get to is well, then you need a firm or firms that. Um, that create a, a market share for themselves to be able to do these things. Uh, and I've seen that on, on LinkedIn, you've, you've done some of that kind of forensic work. Maybe, maybe we could take an example, a live example, like, like what happened recently with, uh, was it the Twitter accounts or what, what, what went on in there and, and how could we practically have found out about it and let's get some, some meat on that. Yeah. First, I just want to, um, note that you said the data is there. And I think that that's really important because also from a security perspective, you can't have a, a ransomware attack where somebody says, I'm going to delete your database and the contents of it. Or like if your Amazon servers all go down in a fire or something, you're not going to lose it because it's on a public blockchain that is, you know, being run all over the globe. Um, but to your more recent point um, about kind of on-chain forensics and um, this recent Twitter hack, um, what we see is even though Bitcoin is now kind of in the public eye, um, you know, it's still very new and people are starting to learn about it kind of now. And we saw a lot of people calling um, this a Bitcoin hack or a Bitcoin yeah, so in this recent um, in this recent uh, Twitter hack, people were, I think, um, misnaming it a, a Bitcoin hack, but you know, no security was compromised on the Bitcoin network. What happened was um, there was a security breach on Twitter's end where um, and, and there, there were some there's some really good public um, investigations that you can go 
um, and, and read about how, how this was actually done. Um, but somebody was able to gain um, admin tools on the back end for Twitter and gain access to a number of very high profile accounts. And those included um, Barack Obama, Elon Musk, and so on. And what the user did with it, um, somewhat surprisingly, was kind of like this obvious well-known scam within the Bitcoin space, but it's something that you also see um, elsewhere where somebody tells you, hey, you need to pay me this much money and then I'll pay you more. It's kind of that um, Nigerian prince scam that we've all heard about where your grandma gets an email. This guy says, hey, I have millions of dollars, but I just need a thousand dollars to unlock it and then I'll easily pay you back double. You know, grandma sends a thousand dollars and she never sees it again. And that's essentially what happened was um, the, the hacker used all of these high profile Twitter accounts to say, um, hey everybody, I'm giving back to the community, send me Bitcoin to this address and I'll double it for you. So some people did send money to those addresses and um, because it was on the Bitcoin blockchain, um, everybody can see not only what address is associated with the hacker because they said, you know, on all these accounts, send it to this address, uh, but they could see who was paying money to that account or what addresses were paying money to that account at, and how much. And so the entire community, um, including ourselves at Inca Digital, um, were able to kind of monitor these funds and track where they moved and um, use some um, kind of entity attribution um, techniques to follow the funds and say, hey, it looks like some of the money went to this exchange and, and now it's going to that exchange. And you can tell those exchanges to, to freeze the funds um, and, and try and stop it. And that's kind of what, you know, it goes back to our earlier point where the public is actually able to, um, you know, the public and any entities that are um, enforcing law and order are able to kind of use the public blockchain and as a community um, investigate what's happening. And did they end up finding, I mean, did they end up profiting from it or did they? Yeah, so there was, I can't remember at this point. Um, okay, that's okay. But I mean, so the point you, were, you were able to, fin this is, this is uh, you know, the exact opposite that happened. I'm very familiar, familiar with the case, it was several years ago, where uh, the, um, the Federal Reserve got a request from, a, I think it was a Malaysian bank, or a bank from Manila, for transfer of several millions of dollars to the bank account. And uh, it, 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 it was over the, the holiday weekend. So th there was no way to check what was going on. And the money, so the Fed sent the money out. On, and, and then they realized later on, when, and, and literally it was the matter of how you read the name of the account where right? it was misspelled but just enough that you couldn't notice it but it was too late it went out because something had to do with the, the weekend and then the holiday and by the time somebody said hey wait a second this is not the account for that bank the money had already gone to manila and they asked the money it was incredible they should make a movie yeah out of it. i remember the, the, that the it's money was sophisticated yeah yeah the money was deposited and it was transferred to a casino where they went in and they cash in the chips, several millions of dollars. And by the time they got there, it was too late. They already cashed the chips, got the cash, 
and had left. So, well, so that actually goes to another interesting point, which is if you're able to steal money and you're able to hack or scam, how do you then wash the money? Because, you know, like there's techniques in, um, you know, in the current banking system, like using a casino, for example, to wash your money that are pretty well known. Um, And that is, that is kind of one thing that you do see some, some hackers and scammers do in Bitcoin too, is they send money to online um, casinos or gambling sites. But there are also specialized tools that people use to um, obfuscate, um, you know, the ownership of the uh, private keys associated with their um, addresses or obfuscate just the on-chain activity. So there are these um, services called mixing mixers, and some of them are like um, websites that you would log into, and some of them are kind of integrated into wallets, um, such as like Wasabi and um, Samurai wallets have these. And what they will do is um, take large amounts of users. So you know, me and a hundred other people would all enter one of these mixes at once, and it would jumble up all of our coins. Um, and it would be then make it very hard on chain to try and follow this, um, but not impossible. And what you see is with um, some kind of algorithms and then um, behavioral analysis, um, you can actually track funds that go through some of these mixing services. Wow. So that's, uh, that's interesting. So, uh, and, and the bigger picture, I guess, is that, um, I mean, yeah, we, we are talking about forensic um analysis of, of of the data data analytics but then you know at the same time it, it it's also happening with the money supply itself right where the dollar might not different topic which we're not going to get too much into because of about three or four minutes but you know so there's some big tectonic plate going on here well how are the banks reacting to this where is the government reacting to these type of things are they welcoming it or they're saying, no, 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 we got this. Or they're just hiring, you know, what are they doing? Yeah, I think initially, um, well, at the very beginning, they dismissed it as something that's, you know, kind of like when the car came along or the, you know, electricity came along, everybody dismisses it. They say, you know, for the car, there's there's no roads, there's only horse paths, so there's you know no way to drive your car, and therefore there's no demand for a car. And since there's no demand for a car, there's no demand for a road, and it's a catch-22. Um, and I think the same thing was kind of held by um, financial institutions and central banks. And then um, there was this very negative attitude about it, um, where you know people were saying this, calling it rat poison. Famously, Jamie Jamie Dimon said that, I believe. Um, and a lot of countries were essentially banning them or outlawing them. Um, and you saw, you know, some governments like uh, Venezuela um, go and uh, go around and round up mining equipment and things like that. And now what you see is actually um, blockchain and um, cryptocurrency specific panels uh, within these companies and these um, organizations that are trying to understand them and um, see both the potential for using um, blockchain technology themselves and also just understanding, you know, 
now that the Pandora's box is opened, it, there's no way to put it back, you know, put cryptocurrency back in the box. And it's a world we're going to have to live in. Um, and they're trying to navigate that now. Yeah. Okay. Well, this was, uh, this was a very good primer. Um, I don't want to get too much into uh, details uh, uh, at this point, but I think it's, uh, it's a good introduction to what's, what's going on out there. And there's a, a lot more and you guys are quite involved. So uh, Nick, thank you. Thank you very much for your time here. I really appreciate yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks.